the cross and he rose again from the dead, which surprised even his own disciples. And uh, he spent about 40 days with them, alive from the dead. And he taught them a lot of things and that gave them new understanding. And right before he ascended to heaven to go back to be with his father in heaven, he left them some final instructions. And he told them, go and make disciples of the nations. That's what he said. Go and make disciples of the nations. A disciple is a student. Jesus was like a rabbi, and he had people who followed him and and learned from him, and they were his students. Someone who is devoted to Jesus' teaching and way of life is a disciple. Are you a disciple? Is every Christian a disciple? I have heard people say, well, I'm a Christian and I believe in Jesus, but I'm not really sure I'm a disciple. And so there's some confusion about that. Well, let me just make it easy for you. And over the next few weeks, I'm going to be talking about this. Every Christian is a disciple, is a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, not only are we called to be disciples, but we are also called, can you complete it? To make disciples. Jesus said, go and make disciples of the nations. And so the question I want to answer throughout this series is, what is the nature of Christian discipleship? That's the word we use. If you decide today that you're going to be on this journey of following Jesus and letting him teach you and adopting his manner of life, then you are a disciple. You are on the path to discipleship. Now, today I want to focus on one particular feature of discipleship, uh, and it's something I want you to think about all week. So let me begin by giving you a quote. How many of you you have ever heard something like this? Life is a journey, not a destination. Anybody heard anything similar to that? Yeah, so life is a journey. It's not a destination. So I want you to ask yourself, do I agree with that statement? Now, I have agreed with that statement, but I've been thinking about it a lot over this past week, and I've been praying about it, and I've been searching the Bible to say, well, is that really true that life is a journey and not a destination? For a lot of people, it is about the journey. They say things like, enjoy the journey. Live in the moment. Be present. Don't worry too much about the future. Just take care of today. But then for a lot of people and a lot of believers, Christians, for a lot of Christians, it's not just about the journey. It's about the destination. You had a pastor here back in the 90s, early 90s, and he used to say our whole thing, our whole mission is to get people into heaven. And so that's really saying it's about the destination. Is it just about the destination and there's no journey? Is it just that we just sit around and wait around and bide our time until we die and (laughs) take it into heaven? So what is it? Is the Christian life a journey or is it a destination? I want you to see this slide. This is how I understand it, is discipleship is a journey of transformation, and it's a journey towards our God-given destiny. The word destiny and destination are very similar. 
We are on a journey, but we're on a journey that has purpose, that has direction. We are on a journey that is going somewhere. So it is a journey, but it's also a destination. Now, if you know anything about me, you know that I tend to say it's both and. So you shouldn't be surprised that I'm actually embracing both parts of this. Uh, John Bunyan wrote a famous book, many of you have read, called Pilgrim's Progress, and it was all about his journey of faith. Watchman Nee said this. He said, the Christian experience from start to finish is a journey of faith. The Bible describes your Christian life as a journey. Uh, Psalm chapter 1, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the path of sinners. It's talking about it like a journey. Psalm 119 verse 32 says, I run, O Lord, in the path of your commands, for they broaden my understanding. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, many of you know this one. Quote it with me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your what? Path straight. Jesus said there are two paths. There are two roads. One has a small gate. One has a large gate. The one with the small gate is a narrow path. It leads to a narrow path. He said very few find it. But the one with the big gate... It's a broad path, and there's a lot of people going that way, but it's the wrong way. He described it as a journey. The first Christians, if you read this in the book of Acts, the first Christians were called, you know what they were first called? They weren't called Christians. They were called disciples, or they were called followers of the, the way. Of the way. They were on the way. They were on the journey. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he said, if you want to know the way, follow me. Um, the Apostle Paul said, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. He said, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. He describes it as a journey. The Apostle Paul calls it a race that we run. But there's also scriptures that tell us that there's a destiny, that there's a destination Colossians chapter 3, so here we go. People say, you know, people are too, so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. You've heard that. You've all heard that. And so the idea is you've got to be focused on the here and now. It's just about the journey, right? Uh-uh, that is not true. The people, honestly, if you look at it historically, if you look at Christian biographies, the people who've done the most good for God in the last 2,000 years, really, were focused on eternity. They had their eyes fixed on the kingdom. That was to come. They did. They had their gaze fixed upon Jesus Christ. They really did. But that didn't mean that they were no earthly good. The Apostle Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, he says, um, since you've been raised with Christ, that's, what he, that's how he describes this, he said, set your hearts on the things above where Christ is seated. And then he says, set your minds on the things that are above, not on earthly things. So he's actually encouraging us to focus on that which is eternal. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul's talking about how hard it can be to be a Christian. Um, and, and, and he says, you know, but we do not lose heart. Because even though outwardly we're wasting away, and our bodies are often afflicted, and our lives are afflicted, he said, inwardly we're being renewed day by day. And he said, we do not look 
at that which is visible only, but that which is invisible, the eternal. He said, that which is visible is temporary. It's passing away. That which is invisible is eternal, and it will last forever. So he's encouraging us to look at the destination. Hebrews chapter 12, he says, let us throw off everything that hinders. Let us um, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run the race with perseverance, fixing our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. What he's saying is, fix your eyes on Jesus. He's at the finish line, and he's waving you in. He's done this race. He's completed the race. There are many who have gone before us who have completed it. The Apostle Paul says, forgetting what is behind, I strain toward what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize. You know, and so the Bible really talks about it like a journey. And the Bible tells us that we have to really focus on what we're doing here and now in this world because what we do now really matters. But we also have to look to the eternal, and we've got to look to our destination, our final destiny. Now, how many of you know what the West Coast Trail is? Anybody ever heard of the West Coast Trail? Okay, uh, somebody tell me, where is the West Coast Trail? Who knows? Yeah, <laughs> I love it. the common sense. Uh, it's on the West Coast. Thank you. I didn't, okay, didn't know that. Um, so it's really on, it's about 75 kilometers on the, uh, on the island, on Vancouver Island, right on the West Coast western edge there, so 75 kilometers, and it's really rugged. Um, I want to ask a question. Uh, how many of you have done it? I just want to know. Oh, show off. How many? How many? 17? 18 times? After I read about it, okay, I just have to come over and shake his hand, because after I read about it, it's like, I'm, I'm scared even to, I, it's, so it's this really rugged terrain, and uh, not only that, it's wet and soggy, and it's misty, and you wake up in the morning, and, and, and if you don't have the right kind of sleeping gear and all that kind of stuff, you're going to be wet and soggy and cold, kind of like Calgary is right now, you know, and um, so, uh, just stay here for a while, and you get used to it, I guess, um, and then you could do it. You did that 18 times? That's incredible. So here's what part of the West Coast Trail looks like. Um, and, and, and so if you were to do this, how many of you think that you could just decide right now, you know what, I'm going to hop on a plane tomorrow, and I'm going to go on the West Coast Trail? What? <laughs> yeah, okay, so... Okay, some of you are tougher than me. Blake, I know you could do it. I think Albert could do it. Okay. But here's the thing. For most of us, we're going to have to do a few things to get ready. Do you not agree? Okay. Because you see, it isn't just about the destination of getting to the West Coast Trail and doing that particular journey. It's about the preparation ahead of time. And there's a whole bunch of stuff. You know, you've got to get conditioned and ready for that. There are some people, they say one in a hundred people who start out on the West Coast have to be rescued. And that actually ramps up the cost of the West Coast Trail. But there's a few things that you need to buy, probably, to purchase, to have ready, to take with you. So look at this, look at this here. <laughs> this is just 
some of the stuff. So basically, you've, let me just read this to you. You're going to have to have, um, and they say like a water filter, a water treatment system. You've got a food, of course. A single burner backpacking stove. A lighter or waterproof matches and fire starter. Cooking utensils. Biodegradable soap. Disc scraper. Tarp. A lightweight rope or cord or a carabiner for hanging food. You need a 50 to 75 liter backpack. And that thing ain't light, okay? Not once you put everything in it. Hiking boots, trekking poles. Uh, they say you need a West Coast Trail guidebook and a map, a compass, or GPS. Um, you need a headlamp or flashlight with extra batteries, personal first aid kit, sunscreen, sunglasses, bear spray, or something like that. A trowel? What do you need a trowel for? Hmm. Okay. Anyway, so there's all kinds of stuff that you need to take with you when you go on a trip like this because it isn't just about arriving at the destination and being unprepared. That's the worst thing that you can do. So, we are on a journey as Christians. Um, discipleship is a journey of, of transformation. And it's a journey towards our God-given destiny. God has a destiny for you and for me. Um, before I was saved, uh, 1974 in the spring, I was saved and baptized in the spring of that year. Um, I, soon, I soon learned that being a devoted disciple of Jesus was not an easy road. Um, Going to church is pretty easy. Going to Bible study is pretty easy. But being a devoted disciple of Jesus, not so easy. It requires discipline, focus, uh, courage, determination, grit. But most of all, to be a devoted disciple of Jesus requires an intense love for Jesus. And uh, that's, I love the church. I would say for many of you here today, you love the church. Um, but do you love Jesus? And how does that manifest itself in your life? Um, for me, that's come more slowly. My journey towards making disciples um, has been really difficult. To be a person who does that. I remember years ago, some of you might know this book. It was called The, Master's, the Master Plan of Evangelism by Robert Coleman. It was published, I think, in the 1960s. The Master Plan of Blaine's Nodding, The Master Plan of Evangelism by Robert Coleman. And it was all about how to make disciples. And, and I remember Danny Gales, who was a former pastor here, uh, Danny, Danny really would think big. And Danny would get pretty excited, as some of you who worked with him and been on his board know when he talked about discipleship. And uh, so what we would do is he'd have a diagram, you know, and uh, it'd be like a flip chart, not a whiteboard. And uh, he'd have a diagram, and it would show, you know, Danny at the top, and then Danny would disciple three people for one year. But then at the end of that year, those three would go and find three more each, and then he would find a new three people to disciple. And then at the end of that second year, each of those, now you can imagine what happens. It's an exponential progression, right? You know, we found out, we actually did the math. I had a Texas Instrument calculator because I was a physics major. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, and uh, 
And so we did the math. It took 21 years to win the whole world to Jesus Christ if you followed that plan and if there was no attrition and no one got discouraged and quit and, you know, so on and so forth. And uh, where are we now? Hmm. But you know what? It's really interesting about that. I still find it compelling. If the church, if each one of us would really focus on why God placed us on this earth, and that is to be disciples and to make disciples, what a transformation that would make in the world around us. Um, And so the last four years or so, I've really doubled down on this in my own life and in the life of the church. Um, Because I do believe that it's a journey of, of, of transformation, personal transformation, but also the transformation of the church. Um, you know, you, you folks, you know that there's people, people that you know, neighbors, uh, people at work, uh, family, friends, who say, you know, uh, I, I don't do church anymore. They're, they're disillusioned with the church. They still identify themselves as Christians, but they're disillusioned with the church. And um, for me, what the Lord has given me back in the last few years is to say, Brian, um, this is what you must do, is to make disciples, to be a disciple, first of all, and to make disciples of others who in turn will teach people and train them and make disciples, who in turn will teach and train and make disciples on down the line. Um, it's not an easy road. It's a journey. And it's a journey that has lots of pitfalls and distractions and temptations along the way. Um, so if you read your Bible, you'll know that the, the Bible has the story of Abraham and how Abraham left Haran, where he was from, and he was going to be on a journey to the promised land, to the land of Canaan, where God was taking him. But it was a journey. And it was not an easy road. The story of Joseph was the same thing. If you read the story of Joseph in, in the book of Genesis, Moses, the same thing. It, Moses was 80 years old before God thought he was ready it, because he had this whole journey to traverse, to get him ready for that point. And so for you, you may not be ready yet for what God wants to do. Like, you, you could be sitting there and going, you know, like, I, I don't know what my Christian life is about. I, I feel like I'm stuck. I feel undisciplined. I feel unfocused. And, and, but you know what? Let me just give you hope this morning. That, too, is part of your journey. Peter, the apostle, after promising Jesus, he said, I will never die, deny you. I would die for you. And Jesus said, no. Before the night is through, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter failed miserably. Have, can, you, can you relate to Peter? Really? Can you, can you relate to Judas? Can you relate to people in the Bible who, who got it wrong? How David committed adultery with Bathsheba, but somehow God was even able to use that? And now we have Psalm 51 in the Bible, a psalm of deep confession. It's a journey, folks. Uh, The people of Israel, they were in slavery in Egypt for 430 years. They were slaves under Pharaoh. And God raised up Moses to take them up. And then what happened is 
there was all the plagues and everything that happened. They crossed the Red Sea. And now they're in the desert. And they spent 40 days in the desert, in the wilderness, wandering in the wilderness, on their way to the promised land. Not even Moses made it, but they were on this journey where they were being tested, where their faith was being tested. God fed them. Um, He gave them everything they needed. Their faith was being tested. They were being taught by God in the desert on their way to the promised land. And God led them with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. It was a journey. They knew that it was a journey. But the journey was not easy, just like your life. I mean, you could find all kinds of examples in the Bible of our forefathers and foremothers uh, who struggled. But it's all part of the journey. So I just want to say to you, do not lose heart. Do not give up. Um, So it's a journey, but it's also a destination. It's both. It really is. Uh, So the people of Israel were on a journey to somewhere. We're going somewhere, folks. We're going somewhere. There's a kingdom. There's a new country, it says in Hebrews chapter 12, that we're going to together. If you're an atheist, you know, people who are atheists don't believe in God. What they would say is, um, no, it's all about the journey. Because there ain't no destination. When you're dead, you're dead. It's just about the journey. Take what you can get now. Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. And whatever good you're going to do, you're going to do now. There's a here, but there's not a there. There's a now, but there's not a then. That's how they would look at it. But for us, there's a here and a there. And there's a now and there's a then. And so we have to do both. We've got to live in the here and now. And we have to also keep our eyes on the there and the then. Um, Because we are going somewhere. Discipleship is a journey of transformation towards our God-given destiny. Um, We've got to keep our eyes on the destination. I want you to take a look at this slide. And this is uh, something that for many of you is familiar. This is our mission statement at First Church. Can we all just say this out loud? Ready? Making Christ-like disciples with a heart for God and a passion for people. Uh, you know, like, and if you're rolling your eyes right now, I don't blame you. <laughs> you know, I'm not mad at you if you rolled your eyes. You know, because how often do we see core values and mission statements and they don't mean anything? I want you to know, for me, it means a lot. Does it mean I, I, I succeed all the time? Absolutely not. Does it mean that I don't ever lose my focus? Of course I do sometimes. But, but God, by His grace, just keeps bringing me back uh, to where I need to be. And, and, and uh, I, that's our mission, is to make Christ like disciples. Here's our vision. And this is distinct from the vision. People transformed into the likeness of Christ. So as we make disciples, what's that going to look like? You know what it's going to look like? It's going to look like transformation. You will be transformed. Your relationships will be transformed. Your families will be transformed. At least you're going to have a good chance. Because it begins with you, right? Our churches will be transformed. Our communities will be transformed. Our world will be transformed. One person 
at a time. But it takes leadership. I'm going to quote you a verse. I'm going to wind down here because I, I knew I wouldn't get through this in one part. Psalm 78, the very last verse. And David shepherded them, the people of God, right? And David, King David, shepherded them with integrity of heart. With skillful hands, he led them. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me. He guides me. He leads me. He guides me in paths, paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk, walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. This is a journey in which God is with us. It's a journey, but there is a valley of the shadow of death. There is a dark night of the soul. There is struggle. There is discouragement. There's failure. There's disappointment. Sometimes you get disillusioned, but God is with us. And you know what? Pastors are here, and not just pastors, but pastors are here. It is my God-given calling to ensure that this happens in this church. And for me to share that with you, I need your help. Uh, other pastors, I need your help. Board members, I need your help. Lay leaders, Christians, I, I can't do this by myself to do what it takes for us to see lives transformed. By the way, if you want the Bible verses on that, what I have up there, the vision, that's what it's going to look like. When we make disciples, it's going to be transformative everywhere we go. Don't show the next slide because I'm going to save that for next week. But I want to say this. Discipleship is what we were called to do in this world. Um, the fact that, I don't know, most churches in the world don't do it does not negate the fact that this is really who we are to be. It's in the Bible. I want to spend the next few weeks really demonstrating that from the Bible. Um, and I really do believe this. Uh, if this church is not making disciples, if we're not being disciples and if we're not making disciples, somebody once said, Pastor, if you don't like the temperature of your church, put the thermometer in your own mouth. <laughs> That's the responsibility of the pastors and those who are elders in the church. I do believe this, that if we will lead, if I will lead, people will follow. Not everybody will follow right away. It's normal for some people to be skeptical. You have good reason to be skeptical. Yeah, we'll see. That's okay, I'm not mad at you if you do that. But I know that some of you are ready some of you are ready to take the step. And you know what? It's one step at a time. Some of the best stuff I've got in here, I'm going to have to save till next week. I can hardly wait. Okay. Um, hope you feel the same way. Uh, and so, let me just end with this. I want to give you something to take away. I didn't even get to the scripture, the main scripture yet. So consider this an introduction. We were at a, a seminar on Friday, August the 16th. I invited our church board and spouses 
and our pastoral staff and spouses and a couple of other people to come and hear a presentation by Dr. Melvin Rigsby. It's Reuben Rigsby's father. Reuben's uh, back there on the media doing the slides. And I got to tell you, it was compelling. And uh, he challenged us on this very thing. And I, I brought him in because I knew I was going to do this series. And uh, I, I had a whole design to the whole thing. And uh, he said, I want you to think about five questions and take these questions with you. And these questions aren't in the Bible, but I do believe they're a really good reminder. But I'm only going to give you two of them today. And this will be your homework. What I want you to do is this week just take the step of asking yourself these two questions every day and at every moment of the day as the Holy Spirit reminds you, okay? And here are the two questions. Why am I here? And who do I see? Why am I here? So you go to Walmart and you go there to pick up something in the hardware. You go, I'm here to buy something. I'm here to get an implement. I'm here to get a new lawnmower or no, actually, snowblower. <laughs> Winter's coming. Okay. Uh, no, that's not why you're here. That's not why you're at Walmart. Because you see, at the end of the day, what I have to say to myself, it's not about me. It's about what God wants to do as I'm on that journey of buying that snowblower. It's those, what people would think are chance encounters, but they're divine appointments along the way. Why am I here? Is this about me being served by the clerk, the cashier? Or is it about what God might do through me? Who do I see? That's the other question. Why am I here? Who do, I, do I see that person? Do I see that person? I was at Superstore. I wasn't going to say this. But anyway, I was at Superstore. Uh, I think it was Monday, and I was a little grouchy because it was supposed to be a nice day, and it wasn't. It was cold and windy and wet. And I was grouchy, and I, I was thinking, like, you know, thanks, God. You know, like, my Sabbath, my day off, and it's lousy weather, you know. And, you know, I was feeling a little deprived, you know, and bitter. So I, but I had to go to Superstore, and I'm standing in line, and there's two women in front of me. And uh, they had their heads down, and, and basically the whole thing was transactional. They're doing a transaction, right? So there's the, ca there's the cashier, and she's got her head down, and she had her name. And, uh, and um, yeah, hey, oh, hang on. Um, anyway, I got her name. It was, uh, what was it? Yeah, Cheryl, thank you. <laughs> I did get her name. Anyway, she had the name tag, C-H-E-R-Y-L. I told you I wasn't going to share this. Anyway, so, uh, anyway, so she's not really, because sometimes the cashiers are really friendly and they're drawing people out and they're joking around, but she wasn't. She was very, very uh, just sort of transactional and she was just going to, game face, and, you know, she's getting the job done, and she was very efficient. She wasn't unfriendly, but just kind of, you know, anyway. And so, anyway, so this, the, the one woman that is there, and she's doing her whole transaction, and then there's no smile, there's no engagement, there's no eye contact, really, to speak of. And then the next woman, same thing. So I'm standing there, I'm feeling a little grouchy and deprived, you know, bitter, you know, and I'm kind of like, I'm in a bad mood, I don't want to be nice to anybody today. And uh, so anyway, but the Holy Spirit's convicting me, and I got those questions, you know, like, why am I here? I'm not here for her to serve me. And I go, okay, God. And, you know, who do I see? Do I see her? Do I see her through Jesus' eyes? 
you know, and, and so I thought, okay. She had the name tag. I said, hey, Cheryl. I said, you know what? You should be happy to be working today because you don't want to be outside. It's really lousy out there. And she said, really? And I said, oh, yes, like nothing like Forca. And she smiled. And then we just had this sort of banter that went on. And it was great. Now, and then I shared the gospel with her, and she became a Christian. No, I'm just kidding. Anyway, <laughs> that, that didn't happen. But, but the thing is, sometimes that can happen. Sometimes that can happen. And I'm not really particularly good in the moment of doing that sort of thing. But here's the thing. For me, it was a reminder to look at people as people for whom Jesus died. I needed that more than she did. I think it gave her a lift. I think she felt like it wasn't just transactional. And so, folks, you know, when there's a server at the restaurant, treat, treat that person like a person. That's your homework this week. Would you say, okay, can you remember the two questions? Why am I here and who do I see? If you could just do that, say, Holy Spirit, would you just remind me? Because you know what? This guy sometimes is in too much of a hurry. And yes, sometimes I got a bad attitude. You know, and, and I, then I think the whole world's here for me. You know, and serving. No, it's, a, it's about us serving them. And so that's the homework this week. And there's more to come. So hold on. Uh, but thank you so much. And I just want to close in prayer. Father, I just thank you. Oh, let's invite Ivan and Kate to come and close us out in song. Father, I thank you that you have called us and set us apart to be disciples. Um, and not only to be disciples, but as it says at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, to go and make disciples. Father, I confess, I don't, I just feel so often inadequate for the task, but I know that it is your Holy Spirit that makes me adequate. And it's when I'm armed with the Word of God and the boldness that comes through our relationship with your Holy Spirit that I can do this. But Lord, how does this church become a church that makes disciples? How do we actually do what the Church of the Nazarene globally says? We're here to make disciples of the nations. Are we doing that? I thank you, Lord, that in, in a lot of the developing world, it's happening much more than it's happening here. But it can happen here, Lord. And so forgive us our unbelief. Forgive us for thinking, oh, no, it can't happen here. This is just Canada. So Father, I pray that you would help us today to remember those two questions. Why am I here? And who do I see? And Father, to treat everyone with kindness. To treat everyone as people for whom Jesus died. And Lord, would you open doors for the gospel? Help us to be disciples and to make disciples of others as we follow this journey of transformation, a journey towards our eternal destiny. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's listen to Ivan and Kate. They wrote this song.